everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, where I write about how to navigate prenatal care for a safe birth and a healthy mother and baby, and it's based on my 20 years as a labor and delivery nurse. Now, after we published the book, there was still so much more to talk about, so that's what the podcast is about. All the stuff, the people, the experiences, the cultural factors, the family issues, the practical strategies, all the universal problems, you know, the stuff that goes into pregnancy and prenatal care, birth and parenting. And that includes the politics and power structures that make the system what it is today. Works for some people, doesn't work for others, and I think it could be a whole lot better. Uh, let's see, I want to mention that Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is part of the Parents on Demand network of pregnancy and parenting podcasts. So tell your friends that they can find us over there, or of course, over on Megaphone, Apple Media, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. We have talked a lot lately about the during and after parts of pregnancy and birth, but we haven't talked anywhere near enough about the before part you know, before you get pregnant, and especially about the challenges and solutions women and men face when getting pregnant isn't so easy. Reproductive medicine is a complicated specialty, but a lot of what these doctors recommend comes down to common sense and paying more attention to having a healthy lifestyle. So today we're going to talk with a reproductive medical specialist whose practice focuses on just that. Dr. Carmelo Scarlatta is part of Oregon Reproductive Medicine's team here in Portland. He's a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist with extensive experience in the fields of in vitro fertilization and integrative medicine. Um, ORM's integrative medicine practice includes a pretty comprehensive program that incorporates acupuncture and herbal medicine and supplements and yoga and meditation and a healthy diet and you know all of that with infertility treatment. So that's a lot to talk about today, huh? Let's get Dr. Scarlotta on the line. Hi, Dr. Scarlotta. It's Jeannie. How are you? Fine, Jeannie. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning to you too. Um, I read your bio before I got you on the line here, and do you prefer to go by Carl or Dr. Scarlotta? I would prefer to go by Carl. Okay, me too. Though your name is Carmelo, I'm always interested in people's names. Yes, I'm uh, named after my grandfather. That's actually, my ancestry is from uh, Sicily. Ah, I wondered about that. But Carl is what you go by. Yes. Cool, cool. So my first question is this, who are you and what do you do? Oh, that's a very difficult question. I thought we only had 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, well, Gene, I'm a, I was born in uh, Tucson, Arizona and had all my formal education through medical school in Tucson uh, University and medical school at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. I went on to have a residency in obstetrics and gynecology in Phoenix, and then a fellowship in reproductive endocrinology in St. Louis. 
and most recently uh, in 2011 to 2013, uh, completed an integrative medicine fellowship uh, at the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine uh, through Andrew Weil. So educationally, I've gone through the traditional pathway that reproductive endocrinologists go, but I've also gone an additional path uh, by uh, doing specialized training in integrative medicine. And that's really where my passion lies at this point in my career. All right. Well, that tells me a lot about you professionally. What about you personally? You're pretty new to Portland, aren't you? Yes. My wife and I moved to Portland in 2016. Um, I semi-retired at that point in time from a full-time practice. and. Uh-huh. We wanted to slow down and be able to enjoy our time being outdoors and uh, pursuing all the wonderful uh, things that Oregon has. Yeah. Um, I'm a father of two sons uh, and very proud of both of my boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy things like hiking, um, reading, and photography. Well, you're in the right city for it, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. What a difference, though, between Arizona and Portland. You couldn't, you couldn't find two more different climates. Well, that's true. And between uh, Arizona and Portland, I actually lived in San Jose, California, and that's where I practiced for 30 years. So um, even though the climate is some similar to Portland, San Jose and the Bay Area and Portland are really light years away in lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, it's completely different, completely different. Well, I always like to talk to people who are relatively new to Portland because you know, they're still so delighted by the beauty of this state and city and all that we get to do. And you don't mind the rain much yet. I've been no. here for about 20 something years. Gosh, going on 25. And I'm always whining about the greenness. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually love the weather here. I love it. Even though it does rain a fair amount. We had a fair amount of rain in the Bay Area. But the beauty of Portland is it rains. The sun comes out. It's clear. We have beautiful blue skies. Rains a little bit more. Yeah. Things are green. Um, I, I love the change in weather. It, it, uh, I find it very invigorating. Yeah. It's constant. Well, you have a pretty big job title. A couple of terms that some of our listeners might not be familiar with, reproductive endocrinologist and integrative medicine. So let's tell people what those mean and how it relates to infertility and fertility. Absolutely. So the the term reproductive endocrinologist uh, really is the subspecialty of infertility uh, for obstetricians and gynecologists. So um, people may say they're a fertility specialist where they specialize or have an interest in fertility. Reproductive endocrinologists are individuals that have gone beyond a residency uh, and done a fellowship specifically in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So if you would, that is the formal uh, training program for fertility specialists that we have here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's all about hormones. Uh, It's not all about hormones. Hormones are certainly a very important part of it, but um, the term reproductive endocrinology would certainly connote that, but it's also usually been shortened from reproductive endocrinology infertility, and infertility spans uh, a number of different uh, problems both men and women face, uh, not just hormonal. Got it. So what about integrative medicine? Well, integrative medicine is a relatively new concept. Um, uh, Again, I was very fortunate to train with Andrew Weil at the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. And integrative medicine is really a a conception of um, 
really a, a whole person healing type of care for patients, incorporating lifestyle, emphasizing the therapeutic relationship between the provider and the patient, um, and using all appropriate uh, modalities, not just so-called Western medicine, uh, that are evidence-based. Mm-hmm. So a simple way of looking at it is truly integrating uh, lifestyle, traditional medicine, and complementary medicines into the care of an individual. Mm-hmm. Well, a, a lot of people, and maybe especially in large urban settings, are going to be pretty familiar and comfortable with you know, what, what is called complementary or alternative health modalities or natural health modalities. There's a lot of different you know, linked titles. But we're talking about things like naturopathy and acupuncture. Um, But plenty of people still think of it as sort of a less than health option. What, what do you, how do you educate people? I think the easiest way to educate people is to help them understand uh, that there can be many pathways uh, to a common goal. And the the, the term complementary is really that. Um, we could argue that allopathic medicine is complementary to some of the things that traditional Chinese medicine or naturopaths may mm-hmm. offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you look, it really is not them against us, but the concept that we have a number of different treatment options for patients, and it's how we best apply those treatment options. Um, So the word complementary, I really want to think of all these treatments are complementary. Most people have moved away from the term of alternative medicine because Mm -hmm. alternative medicine really connotes things that are not uh, mainstream or not Mm -hmm. evidence-based. And in fact, the, the National Center for uh, complementary medicine changed their title, I think it was four or five years ago, to the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health uh, to remove that concept of alternative because many right. times patients think alternative means acupuncture or herbs or massage therapy or many of the modalities that we know may have benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I spent Oh, gosh. I spent about 20 years as a labor and delivery nurse, and then I spent about a decade writing health articles for magazines and websites where, you know, I explained some new treatment or drug or diagnosis or approach for dealing with a condition or, you know, some new study. I'd break it down. And then, you know, whatever the the article was recommending. And then at the bottom of almost every article, I'd there'd always be sort of the disclaimer. Of course, it's also important to eat right, get plenty of exercise, try stress reduction techniques like meditation and sleep. You know, that was always like the, oh yeah, also do that. But in integrative medicine, it's as if you flip the article upside down and you put those things first. Is that right? That's absolutely, you know, the fundamental of of good health is lifestyle. Right, right. It's some, there are still people out there who... They're not used to the idea that health is actually not something you get at the doctor's office. It's something you do yourself. It's something that comes from yourself and that, you know, you can support your body to heal itself or, or do the job that it's supposed to do um, probably more efficiently than if you add something else, you know, more traditional to it sometimes. 
I think that's absolutely true. The The body has an incredible ability to heal itself under the proper circumstances. If you use the example of antibiotics, antibiotics help fight bacterial infections, but it also helps aid the body's innate uh, immunity to be able to heal that infection. Yeah. So let's tie it into fertility and infertility. How do you help your, your clients? Well... Uh, the biggest areas, um, first and foremost, is education, as well as taking a, a really comprehensive lifestyle and personal history and inventory. Um, I, I like to break down preparing for pregnancy into four areas, lifestyle, nutrition, medical, and environmental. And, and those four are really the cornerstone the, that we touch on and advise patients in an integrative medicine consult for fertility. Lifestyle, nutrition, medical, medi- medical and environment. environmental. Okay. Well, let's break it down. What comes so, under the title of lifestyle? Well, lifestyle certainly the first and foremost is leading a healthy lifestyle. You know, there's certainly certain um, lifestyle habits we know uh, have negative influence on fertility for both men and women. The one that comes to mind the most would be tobacco smoking. Right. We know it has negative effects on both men and women. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we're seeing fewer total people smoke, but we're still seeing a fair number of the population smoke, and it can have negative influence uh, on fertility. For women who smoke heavily, it may actually uh, be a detriment later in life when they're ready to start a family. We know that it can reduce the available number of eggs a woman have, and women who smoke heavily seem to go through menopause three to five years earlier, which means their fertility window is also shorter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember I remember talking to someone in your uh, Dr. Bankowski in your practice, and I often remember him saying, "You know, women enter their thirties uh, fertile, and they leave their thirties infertile." And I guess you know, if you're looking at a, a population of women who is going to be your primary customer, it's going to be in that thirties decade. Right? Absolutely. And, and now in the 40s, uh, yeah. we're seeing an increasing number of women beginning to present uh, and men mm-hmm. who are over 40 when they're attempting their first uh, child. So if they come to you and, you know, you do an evaluation of their lifestyle and you together determine that, boy, you need to change this and you need to change that. How quickly can you see a turnaround in terms of how it impacts their health? Generally, you know, I tell patients we have to think in a window of three to six months. There's not going to be a magic bullet with many of the lifestyle um, or nutritional changes. Uh, We need to be patient and expect, you know, for example, patients who need to uh, lose weight. And we know that overweight and obesity is certainly a major health issue in our country. and if you look in the population that we're seeing that are having difficulty with fertility, many times those patients, both men and women, are older, and they're more prone to be overweight or obese. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there is no magic bullet for weight loss. That takes time. Yeah. Um, but even a modest weight loss of 5 to 10% for patients can have a significant benefit. Yeah. It can trigger your body into you know just innately knowing that, hey, we're doing something here. You know? We're... We're changing things up here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, quitting smoking. I think that most women out there who are trying to conceive 
or, you know, even women who have conceived when they weren't trying, they know that smoking is something that has to, that's, that's a big focus. You have to quit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, other areas that we talk about under lifestyle would be um, physical activity and exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that moderate daily exercise is ideal for health and well-being generally. Mm-hmm. It also can promote fertility for men and women. We have to be a little careful with women, women who are exercising to the extreme, especially women who have a, a very uh, thin uh, body habitus, they're very low body uh, fat. Mm-hmm. That may actually have a negative influence on fertility by altering or blocking ovulation. So uh, exercise is good, but we have to be careful about excessive exercise. Uh, So each patient has to be individually counseled. Uh, For men, exercise seems to be much less of an issue. But my own experience is that generally the male uh, partners that I work with exercise much less than the ladies. I think a lot of people are probably caught by surprise, you know, especially if they're in their 30s or early 40s and they've been healthy and active and, you know, really, really, um, you know, done all of the things on the list we're supposed to do. And then they still find that they're facing infertility. Oh, that's exactly the the yeah. case. We I think we all assume when we're young that we're going to be able to have children whenever we like. And right. um, unfortunately, that doesn't always work uh, the way we want it to. Even if we do a certain tests called ovarian reserve test, they don't perfectly predict if a woman uh, is going to be able to have a children five or ten years down the road. Um, and things do change. Uh, our peak fertility in humans for women is probably the mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a perceptible and statistic decline beginning in the mid 30s. And as you said, you know, between that age 30 and age 40, there can be a significant change in decline in fertility. Right. We don't see the same in men. It's, it's much more insidious in men. But we do see men's fertility does begin to drop minimally into the 40s and 50s. Yeah. yeah. It's a big decade, those 30s. Whew, there's a lot of meat in there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about, you know, stress reduction and, you know, thing, talking to your, to your clients about meditation and yoga and you know, that, that side of things. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a great believer in mind, body, uh, and mindfulness uh, for health and well-being as well as fertility. And, you know, there's certainly been a great debate, does stress cause infertility? And clearly the literature cannot answer that question. Um, what I tell patients is infertility clearly causes stress or distress for individuals and couples. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Going through the process of infertility evaluation and treatment can be stressful. Mm -hmm. So using tools uh, that are mindfulness-based tools or meditation-based tools can help people deal with their stress. It doesn't take the stress away. It helps us manage the stress. So I'm a very strong advocate of mindfulness or meditation tools uh, as patients are going through evaluation and treatment. Do you practice what you preach? Absolutely. Yeah. I just did, I did a mindfulness and yoga class just Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Meditation's a big part of my life too. And it really is. um, It's one of those things that, you know, after you've done it for a while, how transformative it is. It's hard to see it when you're new at it. And I think that a lot of people who are new to meditation, um, 
you know, they just don't get it. What What are we doing here? We're sitting still. Yeah. After a while, you realize, yep, that's what you were doing. And it was great. <laughs> that's absolutely true, Jean. And, and I look at meditation or mindfulness very similar to exercise. We have to practice practice it on a regular basis to truly get its benefits. Right. Uh, doing meditation for two minutes once a week or exercising for 20 minutes once a week is really not going to do it. No, not so much. Though, you know, that'd be great. <laughs> there, uh, I did it. <laughs> well, see, there, there's that Western model. Give me a pill and fix everything. I know. I know. Well, yeah. So many people will say that. Yeah, I tried it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> My mind wouldn't stop chattering. Yeah, it never does. It doesn't for any of us. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to emphasize the point, um, there's a wonderful resource, Alice Domar, who is in Boston, the Domar Center, D-O-M-A-R mm -hmm. Center, in our uh our listeners can actually uh, Google that. Um, Alice has done some incredible work on mindfulness and mindfulness-based stress reduction and how it can benefit patients going through fertility, not only potentially improving their opportunity for pregnancy, but giving them a greater sense of control and resilience to be able to go through the process. Mm -hmm. How about acupuncture? Um, acupuncture is a very interesting modality. I do offer it to all of the patients that I see. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the difficulties we have with acupuncture from a Western standpoint is if we look at the literature for fertility, and most of the literature for fertility and acupuncture are based on IVF studies. What we see is a mixed bag. We see about half the studies showing benefit and improved pregnancy and pregnancy delivery rates, and about half the studies showing no improvement. So if one looks at the acupuncture literature, it's hard to interpret. Mm -hmm. But I, I will tell you, acupuncture has many positive attributes that make sense. Um, it can help improve uterine and ovarian blood flow. It can reduce stress hormones. Studies have shown that we can see drops in cortisol levels, one of the stress hormones that comes from the adrenal. It can change some of the hormonal secretions from our brain that uh, would affect ovulation or sperm production. Uh, patients who do acupuncture after a session often feel quite relaxed and at, at peace. It provides people a greater sense of resilience. I think it's another form of meditation or a mind-body tool in addition to those potential benefits to blood flow and reduction of stress hormones. Right, because generally for listeners who haven't had acupuncture before, what generally happens is that your acupuncturist will you know, put in the teeny tiny needles that most people barely feel in specific spots and then they'll step away for a little bit and you'll have 20 minutes to just chill and let the magic happen, so to speak. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, they'll use that time, you know, for deep breathing or, you know, meditation, or if, you know, you're like my husband, you take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Which so many people find hard to believe when they think about the concept of having needles placed um, in an acupuncture room, but it is a very comforting uh, room. And having had acupuncture myself, I can attest, uh, it's very easy to fall asleep during a treatment and when you wake up refreshed. Yeah, yeah. Or I used to wake up, I, I used to get it a lot for insomnia and allergies. And I would, um, I would not fall asleep, not in a million years. But I would come out of it feeling a little bit like I was waking up from a nap, that groggy feeling. And, you know, you'd 
you can't tell exactly what is different, but something. And it was effective, super effective for me. That's wonderful. Yeah, has been for many, many conditions. Yeah, yeah. And the the one thing I would add about acupuncture, I think if we looked at the studies that show the greatest benefit, it's patients that have had multiple sessions of acupuncture, uh, especially again for in vitro fertilization, starting acupuncture treatments one to two months before their actual stimulation and egg retrieval, as compared to patients that might have one or two acupuncture sessions only at some point during the treatment. Mm-hmm. So again, I think there's a that cumulative benefit that we see with acupuncture appears to show the greatest benefit for our patients. I think similar benefits certainly can be seen for patients with other fertility problems. There are studies to show that women with a uh, lack of regular ovulation, a condition called polycystic ovaries, mm-hmm. may benefit from acupuncture and actually have an improved ovulation rate following treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to dismiss acupuncture for other forms of infertility treatment. We just have less literature to draw upon at this point in time. Yeah. Sometimes the studies don't say anything because the study hasn't been done yet. Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. And, you know, I have I have mad respect for a darn good study, but there's so many studies out there that just really aren't looking at information that is applicable to the consumer, you know? Uh- I completely agree, and especially when you look in the area of complementary medicine, uh, things such as acupuncture, things such as some of the supplements and herbal uh, compounds that are used in fertility, it is exceedingly difficult to design a a well-done study to get those endpoints. Yeah, and to get the funding for it. There's a lot that has to go into a darn good study. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And even though... You know, we're using terms like complementary. These health practices don't necessarily have as much street cred for most people as traditional Western modalities yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. I think that's very true. Um, And I think that as more practitioners are open to the use of so-called complementary therapies mm-hmm. um, in combination with uh, certain other medical therapies, I think we'll see that um, more research and more interest in this area hopefully will open up. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're lucky to live in an area where there's plenty of access to health care. But, you know, a lot of my listeners are in rural areas or they're in, um, you know, I have a lot of listeners that are in developing countries. And, you know, they're not going to be able to see a reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility specialist at all. So what advice can we give parents who are trying to conceive or carry a pregnancy but don't have the resources that we have to see an integrative medical specialist? Well, I think the first is to take a general assessment of health, Mm -hmm. to to look at um, lifestyle, certain things that we can modify such as tobacco or alcohol consumption. Um, We haven't touched upon marijuana, but that will be a greater issue. Mm -hmm. We now have 30 states in the District of Columbia that have legalization of marijuana either for recreational or medicinal use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Canada has approved uh, the use of recreational marijuana. I believe only Ontario, currently the province of Ontario, has it available. So we have to look at our lifestyle. We have to look at uh, nutrition, 
sleep, exercise. Um, we haven't touched upon environment, but certainly environment is important if we live uh, in areas where there may be pollution uh, or uh, large amounts of chemicals within the groundwater. Uh, these are things that hopefully we would be able to avoid um, and that will enhance our fertility uh, without the, the need for a subspecialist such as a reproductive endocrinologist. And environment also means, you know, your personal environment, the home that you live in, the community you're surrounded in. Absolutely. Um, You know, the the things that we ingest, trying to get plastics out of our cooking and of of our drinks, Mm -hmm. Um, looking at personal care products. Um, If you... I'm sure you probably at some time, Gene, have looked at the ingredients in the personal care products that many of us use. It's amazing the number of chemicals, especially in cosmetics that women use, some of which actually are toxic. Yeah, yeah. All the LMNOP products, you know, there's going to be the BHA and the STP and the, you know, F25. I call them the LMNOP products. If you can't identify what they are, you probably don't want them on you. That's exactly correct. And, and we forget that the skin is our biggest organ and that these products can absorb some very effect- effectively into our systems. Right, right. And we're slathering stuff on our skin all day long. Absolutely. If uh, we, we are victims of the media. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So what else do you want listeners to know? before we wrap up our conversation today? Well, one of the things that I tell patients at the end of the consult is that we touch upon all of these different areas that we talked about, um, lifestyle, diet and nutritional recommendations, um, looking at medical evaluations. And one thing I would mention is anyone who is planning for pregnancy Think three to six months in advance. This is true for both men and women. Mm -hmm. The things that we do today could affect the quality of eggs and sperm, not only today, but up to three to six months later. Mm -hmm. So the first is really to prepare. Um, The second is to take two or three areas of highest priority, whether it's lifestyle or nutrition or environment or medical, and begin to work on those. Don't take every possible piece of advice and try to dramatically change one's life overnight. It simply won't happen. We know what will happen. It'll fail. It's It's like resolutions. It's not sustainable. So I always tell patients, don't try too many changes at once. Let's identify two or three areas to begin to work on. We can then, you know, check in and begin to work on other areas as needed. Yeah. It's about setting an intention and then following through. And, you know, you got to make the, both the intention and the follow through achievable. And, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, yeah, I could take a walk every day, but I mean, that's not going to do it. Well, yeah, actually, it just might, you know, if you take a walk and you actually do it every day over time, just like with if you sit down on a pillow for 10 minutes every day over time, you get the benefits. Exactly. The cumulative benefits of nutrition exercise, meditation, sleep are not going to be measured immediately. They're going to be over the long term. Right. Although you might actually get a little benefit right away. I mean, you know, I, I've taken enough um, friends to like their very first meditation class where they come away feeling like, wow, I really, that was something. Generally though, you know, or after you go for a swim or a run, you feel really good. Generally, though, it's a, it's a thing you got to commit some time. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, the continuation of the practice or the lifestyle changes that are so important, for, right. again, for the long term. Right, right. Well, we are coming to the end of our time, but I still have a couple of questions I want to ask you. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. I might not, I might not be able to become pregnant. Nobody ever told you that? Oh, myself. You, yourself, yeah. Uh, how complicated the process of conception and pregnancy truly are. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then my last question for you is, where are you in your life in terms of parenthood? Um. I would say I'm in the middle portion of my life in parenthood. My two children are 26 and 32, so they're both launched and on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm at a new level where we're actually equals and partners in things that we do. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually in a lovely time in parenthood, um, anticipating in the near future, hopefully, grandparenthood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. We have, we have kids in the same age bracket, yeah. Well, this has been a pleasure to talk to you. I've learned a lot. I think you and I probably think a lot of the same ways about health and healthcare. I, I think that's absolutely true, Jean. Yeah, yeah. And welcome to Portland. Well, thank you very much. It um, was a pleasure to have uh, this time to spend with you today. Well, great. We will talk again down the road. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. Our guest today was Dr. Carmelo Scarlatta, and you can learn more about his work over at OregonReproductiveMedicine.com. You can learn more about me at GeneFaulkner.com. You can tweet me at GeneFaulkner, email me Jean at GeneFaulkner, and I'd love to get some of your questions in here. And do me a favor, will you go buy the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, is available wherever books are sold. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. And I think that's it for this week, everybody. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.